As Bernie Sanders edges out a narrow victory in New Hampshire and the Democratic presidential race is scrambled yet again, a new scandal erupts at the Justice Department. Four federal prosecutors withdraw from the Roger Stone case, and one of them even resigns from the Justice Department entirely after top officials countermand their recommendation for a tough seven and a half to nine year prison sentence for the longtime political advisor to President Trump. It seemed on its face, yet one more example of the Justice Department being politicized under the leadership of Attorney General William Barr. We'll dissect the Stone and Broglio, and we'll break down the numbers on the Democratic race in this special New Hampshire primary episode of Skullduggery. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostage. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence Tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. All right, we are here at the bar in uh, the Doubletree Hotel in Manchester, New Hampshire. As the results are coming in, Bernie Sanders has now been declared the winner of the first presidential primary of 2020. But there are a lot of uh, wrinkles to this story. Uh, he didn't win by a whole lot. Mayor Pete Buttigieg is behind him at the moment by less than 2%. Amy Klobuchar seems to be a big winner tonight, finishing a surprising Third, and we've got our colleague, John Ward, here to help us dissect it, and our old colleague, Jonathan Alter. <laughs> um, By the way, old colleague meaning yeah, from he, we worked days. together a yes. long time ago, not that right. he's old. Well, I am old. Well, but okay, okay, but we're trying that to. Is, there's a certain ability uh, to all not, of us. Better than uh, the John and I'm John, good. welcome Thank back you. to Skullduggery from both of you. John Ward, what is the big story of this evening? Well, I mean, I think you have to look pretty closely at Amy Klobuchar. I, I kind of just want a caveat that you have to give Bernie Sanders his due for winning again. But as we were just discussing, he's going to get a, a lot less votes than he got four years ago here in New Hampshire. So that's, you know, he, he wins, but he, he, he's he got some, some real signs of weakness there. So I think, you know, the fact that Klobuchar was fifth in the polling in New Hampshire a week ago, came in fifth in Iowa, and now surges to third in the course of a week is the big story. How did she do it? And what is it about Klobuchar that, I mean, did you see this surge coming? When did it start? What does it mean? I don't know. I'd be curious to hear John's thoughts on this. I, I kind of really, I kind of first got rumblings of it with my own two eyes really just a day or two ago. I went to an event on Monday, and I guess in some ways until you see it for, for yourself, you, you don't know if it's for real. But I actually went to a Warren event on Sunday, or on Monday, and then went straight to a Klobuchar event, and the contrast was so striking. Well, I mean, she had this good debate. Everyone right. thought she had a good debate. Right. right. And obviously there was something that this famously independent electorate felt was missing in this field of candidates, right, right John? So what, what what's so, your take on so it? So I wasn't totally surprised by it because I've, you know, I am so old that I've been here since not 
straight through, but I've covered all these going back to 1984 when Walter Mondale was expected to be the clear winner right through the last uh, weekend and Gary Hart won going away. So I've seen these big shifts before in several other occasions. George Bush went from finishing third behind Pat Robertson in the Iowa caucuses to beating Bob Dole and going on his way to the nomination. So I knew these things could happen. When I saw Amy in uh, Iowa last week on the night before the caucuses, she had a really good event. Her stump speech was much better than the last time I'd seen her. And I knew that however she did in uh, Iowa would not be relevant in New Hampshire because they don't really care in New Hampshire how you did in Iowa, and they never have. But I still wasn't sure that she could do it because in the past she'd had pretty good debate performances and not converted them to anything in the polls. So I thought maybe there was a, a problem that she had that was insurmountable. The first inkling I got that things might be different was on MSNBC on Friday night, right after the debate, they had one of these kind of town halls that Chris Hayes does. And like person after person in that town hall said that Klobuchar won the debate. And it's very unusual that you find a clear consensus on the winner. So even the other candidates had to concede, as Elizabeth Warren kind of did with the tone of her voice when she was interviewed by MSNBC on Friday, that you know she hadn't done what she needed to do and that Klobuchar had won. So, but look, you know, when you go through the numbers here, it seems to me, you know, the, the, the big question is, who's the non-Bernie candidate in this race? That pretty soon it's going to be down to Bernie versus somebody else. Not necessarily. Somebody from the so that's center. what everybody assumes, but right, I don't think yeah. that's necessarily true. Yeah. So I think that things are different now because... Um, I think you basically have four candidates now, um, Warren and, well, five, because Biden could always make a comeback in South Carolina. Because oh, nobody Bi- else. Biden was nobody else, fifth, I know, less but than no, 10% nobody, I don't, I, of I'm the vote. I I'm mean, not saying I think he's going to win the nomination. Embarrassment. I'm not saying he's going to win the nomination. But unless Bernie is really picking up a lot of black voters, and Bernie has done very little addition, he's been in this, you know, he's down more than 50% from where he was in this state four years ago. And he lives next door. Yeah, Bernie, but that was a two-person race. But, this is, but, the que- so, but, why did he, race. but why did he lose all that support? You know, if you're, if you're a, yeah. a politician on the move, you don't bleed support. You hold also, one your thing. base. His base is one, it's very clear now, his base is one quarter of the Democratic Party, 25 yeah. to 30%. Yeah. I don't personally well, think that's enough for him to get... 26%. Okay. That was Hampshire. enough for Trump 20? to get nominated. Yeah. Well, what happened with Trump, and everybody's making this comparison, Trump was a new candidate. So he kept... People were tuning into him all the time, and he was adding people were going, I like that guy. And Bernie is so familiar. He's like an old shoe. Yeah. The idea of people going, you know... I mean, some Warren people will go to Bernie, no question. But... The idea well, of not like, well, but wait large, a second. Not all of them. Me, not uh, yeah, all and actually, uh, Warren collapsed. Right. right, she collapsed in this. Uh, right. in this and her primary support didn't go to Bernie. And, and Bernie, no, yeah. and, and right, and that a I think that is a, so, I think that is a sign but, okay, of potentially so a sign of weakness for Bernie. So right now, if you take the top four candidates, it's Bernie, uh, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, and Bloomberg, just because he has so much money. Right, so you have three moderates, 
and one progressive. But what if you get the three moderates each getting 25% and the progressive gets 25% and Bernie is not expanding? In other words, it's a little hard to see that two, three weeks from now, people are going to get, you know, I was for Pete Buttigieg. I was for Amy Klobuchar. But now I'm for Bernie Sanders. I don't really see that. Right. So, you know, I, I don't really I, I see. I don't see that either. But I don't I also really see don't Bernie see, building his support. I don't see uh, either Buttigieg or Klobuchar surviving past Super Tuesday unless one of them becomes and I also don't the see, wait, alternative wait, I also don't see, to Bernie. I also don't right. see, frankly, I don't see either Buttigieg or Klobuchar getting 25% of the vote in South Carolina. I mean, this is the, the, South, the Democratic right. electorate in South Carolina is, last time around, was 61% black. Right, so this is they the are, question. They are nowhere, so, they're polling like zero so you with African Americans. So you put your fig- finger on the big question, which is, Bernie is doing better among African Americans. And has, Latinos. And Latinos. Much better among Latinos. He's got a problem with a certain number of Latinos who are members of the Culinary Workers Union in Nevada, which is very dominant. Or they're not endorsing they, this time. And they love their health care plan. And they're, they're really down on Medicare for all. And you're going to hear a lot about that in that debate. But having said that, you're right that Bernie has something going with black voters. And we have no evidence that any of these other candidates do. So that's, that's why everybody, you know, writing Biden off. I'm not saying he's going to win South Carolina, but he had a good event down there tonight. He just went down there. And it could be that there's some African-Americans who go, you know what? I don't like I'm sticking with Biden. I don't give a shit what those white voters in New Hampshire did. I don't care. He's trying and, to pull and, McCain in some ways. And well, the, McCain, New Hampshire, you know. Type. Well, the reverse of it. Well, I mean, M- M- McCain won New Hampshire. McCain well, won he's New trying Hampshire. to do what no, McCain no. did in New Hampshire in South Carolina. Right. Yeah. Or, or or what Bush, like Bush was see. on the ropes in South Carolina because right. he had been beaten by McCain by a lot. And he turned it around in South Carolina. Right. P- people like an underdog, you know. So I don't think Biden's going to win the nomination, but I think it's conceivable that he makes a mini come back and get some black votes in South Carolina. Uh, you know, maybe uh, he ekes it out in South Carolina. I don't think he wins. numbers in New Hampshire. No, no, he's in very mean, bad that's, shape. That's like, you and know, that's a big story Pretty tonight. pathetic. Less than 10%. This is a big I mean, story that Biden, the former yeah. vice All president, right, so Elizabeth Biden, Warren, it's a big story that she's Biden's on the ropes. Here's, here's a question for both of you. Warren, obviously a big disappointment for finishing fourth. Does she get out before Super Tuesday, or does she plow through risking humiliation and losing to Bernie on her home state in Massachusetts? Does she get out before, John Ward, does she get out before Super Tuesday? I think she gets out sooner than later if these results continue. And I actually kind of picked up a little bit of a simpatico type connection between her and Klobuchar tonight. She made comments, I think, in her speech that were a veiled sort of sh- shot at Bernie. Didn't she say something about Bernie's followers? Uh, it was, uh, uh, it was, yeah, it was about booing. the kind of hardlining. Yes, yes. that's what it was. It's yeah. what, it was about supporters kind of booing other candidates, which they did at the dinner on Saturday night. And Klobuchar made a comment that was sort of a, an olive branch to Warren during her speech. So that's something interesting. I think that's something to watch. Uh, yeah. interesting. So what, what I'm going to do, do, what I'm gonna do tomorrow, well, John the Alton. thing that I want to find out tomorrow, and I know I've known both Klobuchar and Warren for a pretty long time, but what I don't know, and I'm going to find out, is what their personal relationship is in the U.S. Senate. I question. know that 
Klobuchar does not have a great personal relationship with some other senators, which I'm familiar with, because in some cases, her staffers have felt like there was a toxic environment in, in the Klobuchar office, and they've gone looking for jobs with other senators who kind of take them in as refugees from Klobuchar. <laughs> but that doesn't, even that doesn't necessarily... And, and are we going to start reading more stories about that now that she, Klobuchar seems to be surging. You'll read more stories about the, the kid in Minnesota who got sent to jail for life at 16 yeah, years Yeah, I actually think that that's, that you, you're going to hear a lot about that in yeah. South Carolina. I think that's kind of a bum story because she did, she had 50,000 cases as a prosecutor in a you know, big office, Hennepin County, uh, Minnesota. And the prosecutor. This is an African American kid who was prosecuted right. while she was well, you, state right. uh, so, district so attorney. So they don't act. They, and, they, and what happened? I mean, he was innocent, right? Spent guys spent years in not, jail. Or, I'm not sure the resolution of the case, but there was they didn't handle it well, whatever it was. Yeah. But you know, you can't find a prosecutor's office where that. I, I personally hasn't don't happened. have. But I do think you're going to see more stories about, you know, how she treated staff. She's not doing it. But you're also going to see jokes like uh, any president can eat salad with a fork a real <laughs> president eats salad with a comb you know <laughs> and you're, you're, it's going to enter the yeah. dialogue a little bit and we're going to find out whether her temper that she obviously had in private if you see any of that in public that would be a huge thing she seems to have that under control in public there hasn't been any of that seen during the campaign and here's i think something really important I like to look at where are they vulnerable from Trump? Like what is the easiest angle of attack on Trump? And we know that he'll, he would go after Sanders as a socialist. Can he go after Amy Klobuchar as mean? Can Donald Trump sell that? I don't think so. I mean, I know he's into projection, but the idea of Donald Trump saying, Amy Klobuchar, she's mean, that's kind of a non-starter for him. And I'm not sure, and I'm not really sure what he can do well, to go I after mean, Buttigieg. I, I, I'm not so sure that's a hindrance to uh, It won't Trump. stop him. It won't stop him, but you have to look at what Crazy work. Amy okay. will be wearing that. I don't think but that's look an at what issue. Works. I don't think that's an issue that has a lot of traction with, with I don't, voters. I don't think it does She's either. mean to her staff. I don't I mean, think it does either. The stories are going to have to be pretty damn shocking uh, for that to happen. Well, there might be some more shocking stories. And look, the other thing about Klobuchar that I think she has going for her, and I don't mean to be navel-gazing about this, but you know, she she really likes reporters. Her dad, her dad was, a, was a newspaper. Her dad was a newspaper yeah. man. Yeah. She's got great relationships with journalists. Yep. From what I'm hearing, spending time up here in New Hampshire with a lot of reporters who've covered Warren, the opposite is true with that campaign. And don't discount that. I mean, that, well, that yeah, has no, impact. She, and, and also, she gave a really good speech tonight. I mean, she. Yeah. The big question about Klobuchar is: Does she have staying power? Can she convert what happened here tonight into money and? better organization because suddenly they're going wide in these states and you you have to you have to be on the air to okay, be competitive well, speaking of organization uh, yeah we i was going to say john alter stay with us but we have our bernie sanders correspondent right. who's just arrived so john ward if you will step aside so uh, so hunter walker can come in and give us the latest from straight from the Bernie campaign headquarters. You were there for the winner's speech tonight. Hunter, welcome back to Skullduggery and tell us how it went uh, at the Bernie Sanders celebration. Well, I actually um, left 
just before the victory was called. Oh, well, then get out of here. That's <laughs> the only reason we had you here. But I have some, some pretty hot intel from the streets of Manchester. My Uber driver was one of those um, undeclared New Hampshire voters. And he went today and decided to have some fun, as he put it, and uh, vote Democratic. And he said that in the end, he decided to vote for, quote, whoever that woman from Hawaii is because <laughs> it was cold today. And he wanted to stick it to the weather. So I, I now feel I have gotten inside the mind of the Tulsi Gabbard voter, yeah. literally the one guy, and here we are. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think Tulsi did uh, too well tonight. I'm trying to find uh, not not exactly uh, racking up she, the delegates. Uh, where she ranked in the. Uh, <laughs> but it we looks like, by the way, she's uh, running a close eighth to Tom Steyer. Or seventh to Tom Steyer, but she, she seems to party. Have, is she going to? Well, she has said no. Right, and by the way, she's ahead of Andrew Yang, who just. I'm dropped sorry out for the Tulsi tangent. All right, let's there. talk about Bernie here, because uh, just before you joined us, uh, I've been like all, winners. Not <laughs> yeah, Alter was uh, was talking about the challenges that Klobuchar, you know, Buttigieg, you know, might have going into South Carolina, the Super Tuesday states, organization, money, you know, so on and so forth. We've been up here a few days. We've gone to a lot of events. One thing that I've noticed consistently is that the Bernie campaign seems to have their shit together. They really <laughs> are pretty well organized. We saw that they, like, this past Saturday, they knocked on, you know, the doors of, like, a fifth of the state. You know, in one day, the events are really well put together. It's kind of a machine. So tell us a little bit about Bernie's organization, what you think we'll see going forward into Nevada, South Carolina, and on to Super Tuesday. Well, look, I, I've been in touch with um, some of the senior uh, Bernie campaign folks who were in a war room tonight as they were getting the results, and they were all overjoyed by the result in New Hampshire. Really? I mean, really they didn't win by had, that much. I, I mean, yeah. less than 2% well, right she got in 30%. They underperformed yeah. badly. Well, I got a hold of their internal numbers a couple, I guess, two days ago, a day, a day or two ago, mm -hmm. and they had believed that he had a ceiling of 26 or 27%, and that Pete would be somewhere in a range between 17 and 30. So by their own numbers, they actually were at or slightly above their ceiling and Pete was slightly down. I think, quite frankly, they have um, Amy to thank for a right. pretty great night right. because she seems to have taken away uh, from right. Pete. Right. Now, I totally understand your point, John, and I think that, you know, there is a world in which that ceiling of about 25%, particularly in a state that he got 60% of the vote last time, could seem to be worrying for Bernie Sanders. And, and in a way it is. But I think we really do need to keep in mind that this is a much, much more crowded field than last time when it was just him and Hillary and he got 60% in this state. 25%, 26%, which is about where he's been here and in Iowa, is maybe not great. It's maybe not resounding. But... It's been enough to do well in these two states. We'll see about Nevada, but I'm really starting to take an interesting look at South Carolina because we'd been expecting this sort of 60% Joe Biden juggernaut, this firewall for him there in, in okay. South Carolina. And obviously, Biden seems to be fading very quickly. That's eroding. And all of a sudden, the 30% that Bernie seems to, 25% that Bernie seems to have very, very secure, looks like a lot in South Carolina. And even though he got drubbed there last time, it was really a definitive moment in his defeat by Hillary Clinton, he did have 30% there. And in this crowded of a field, you know, that was good enough for New Hampshire. We'll see what happens in Iowa. But that also might be good enough for South Carolina, which is a state we never expected Sanders to have in his pocket. Right. And, 
the moderates are divided, and he has that progressive lane to himself now, which is a big advantage for him going forward. And he might pick up a lot of African-American support yeah. in South Carolina and in California and other Super Tuesday I states. I would argue that the addition of Klobuchar in, into the top tier is the best thing that could have happened to Bernie Sanders. I, I don't agree with that because I think that she, for a lot of Democrats, is a plausible nominee. She might be just what the doctor ordered for a lot of Democrats. And let's not underestimate Buttigieg. You know, he is, an, he plays error-free ball, and he can do that all season long, and he is extremely well organized. He is a very, very clever politician. So you, that's why I believe there's going to be a broker convention. I think that that all four of these candidates, we know that Bloomberg can afford it, are going to be there for the duration. So and let me ask you about that, because we, we talked about this over breakfast the other day, that right now I think it's a pretty safe bet that that no one gets to Milwaukee with a majority right, of, of, of delegates. Right. The question is, how big a plurality right. do you need to prevent a brokered or a contested convention? What do those numbers look like for you? So I think it depends on the candidate. So it's going to be higher for Bernie. So if Bernie gets like 45, 48 percent, he's the nominee, he, you know, because he's he's winning in a way that, you know, many other nominees have come in a little bit short of a first ballot victory and they put it together. I remember Walter Mondale, even though he had thrashed Gary Hart, was a little short in 1984. But if Bernie comes Because otherwise in, it'll look like... They're taking it away from him. It was but stolen if he, from if he's If he has 30% of the delegates or even 35% of the delegates, they're not going to give it to him. They're going to say, we're going to a second ballot. But if, on the other hand, if Amy Klobuchar comes in and she has 35% of the delegates, then you could, say, you could see Bloomberg and Buttigieg throwing their support to her so she wins on the first ballot. So it, there are some advantages to having more moderates, too, because they will they presumably come, come together defer, at the end. Yeah, defer to the moderate who's leading. And if Buttigieg, same thing if Buttigieg is, is getting closer to the nomination, uh, then you, you, you know, he would have reason to, that uh, Bloomberg, who said he wanted a moderate, that that was the only thing that was important to him, only got in because he thought Biden was weak. You know, he rejected getting into this race until he thought that, that Biden was weak. Do you think that the, the uh, success that Klobuchar had tonight potentially makes it harder for Bloomberg to argue the case that yes. uh, he needs to get in? This, he was needs not to this was not good for Bloomberg because a lot of people have been sort of giving Bloomberg a thought because they were terrified of Warren and Sanders and they weren't sure that Buttigieg could win. They thought maybe he's too young or they had other reasons for not thinking he was the strongest candidate. And so they were intrigued by Bloomberg. Now they have a place to go. Even more important than that is that she delivered with her speech tonight. She introduced herself to the American people. It had a lot of energy. She seemed appealing. She was upbeat. She did I saw Robert Gibbs explaining quite rightly that she did just what, what Obama did when he was in this situation. Instead of like thanking all the supporters in the room, she spoke to the country. She has a good message when she talks about FDR, you know, I didn't know him, but he knew me. I know you. I know you and your problem with drug prescription drugs. This is a very good message. You know, well, uh, she's, 
She's well, in good shape. Um, I, I just got to say, we've all been hoping for a uh, brokered convention <laughs> for all our yeah. professional lives. Uh, it's never come true, but right. I think here at Skullduggery, we are for whatever scenario could lead to, to more a, Skullduggery. To right. more Skullduggery and a brokered convention. Definitely. So, John, thanks for giving us thanks. hope for that. But we have another big story to get to tonight. We've got to talk about this Roger Stone scandal, and uh, we've got a guest to do it. So thank you, guys. And Hunter, let's get on with John the show. Ward, yeah. John Alter. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We are now joined by the Washington Bureau Chief of Mother Jones, David Korn. I should add that... Uh, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. What, David is also the co-author of a brilliant book <laughs> about Trump and Russia called Russian Roulette. Uh, he's been on the show before. David, welcome back to Skullduggery. It's great to be here. I, I just want to know if kind you guys, of great. I just yeah. want to know if you guys yeah. have finally finished the epilogue <laughs> <laughs> to the paperback edition. Because if you start fighting over that awaited. now, I'm going to walk off this podcast. <laughs> the long-awaited paperback edition, um, we which will the world is waiting for. We will spare your listeners. All right. Now I should point out that for those of you who haven't read Russian Roulette, one of the characters in the book is a guy named Roger Stone, the longtime political advisor to President Trump. And uh, even as we wait here in Manchester to get the final results of the New Hampshire primary, a scandal has erupted over the Justice Department's submission to a federal judge for the incarceration of Roger Stone over his convictions for lying to Congress, obstruction, and witness tampering. And what's happened very quickly is that the Justice Department blocked the submission already presented by four federal prosecutors that Stone be sentenced to seven and a half to nine years in prison. The Justice Department withdrew that uh, after President Trump tweeted about it. Four of those federal prosecutors have now resigned. David, what they should haven't we... all resigned. Well, three withdrew, withdrew, from the case, and one, one quit the Justice Department. Entirely. Thanks for the correction. What should we make of this? sequence of events. Well, people are calling this the Tuesday night massacre. Last week we had the Friday night massacre, so I guess there are five more massacres to go. Right. Uh, last week, of course, we saw Lieutenant Colonel Vidman kicked out of the White House, and we saw Ambassador Sunland fired. And so here are the guys who are in charge of basically putting Roger Stone in jail. They came in uh, with what seems to be a pretty serious sentencing request, but it's actually predicated on guidelines that the Justice Department issues. So it's not extreme in any sense of the word. But in the middle of all this, Trump tweets, oh, I think this is unfair. And then they come A back. Miscarriage of justice, miscarriage, I believe he called yes. it, right? You know, and then they you know, come back and the Justice Department says, oh, we're going to lighten up on the suggested sentencing. And that's when you see these four prosecutors remove themselves from the case and one quit entirely from the job, which we've never really seen anything like this before. Obviously, they're protesting what's been done. It seems from the outside to be a 
uh, extreme politicization of a Justice Department decision, which is usually left to the career, the line prosecutors. And here you have the president, perhaps a bar, reaching in and saying, no, we're not going to do this, to Roger Stone, a longtime friend and confidant of the president. And what I think gets lost in a lot of this is Roger Stone's role in the Russian scandal, right. in that he, and th- this was redacted, largely redacted on the Mueller report, if, if he wasn't colluding with WikiLeaks, he was trying to collude with right. WikiLeaks, right. and he was giving Trump and Paul Manafort and Rick Gates, the top campaign officials, the impression that he was their conduit to WikiLeaks. Now, whether he so, was or he wasn't, and so, but he's... But, but, okay, so let me just, you know, jump in here a little bit, because, yes, he was doing everything he could to give the impression to the world and to Trump and the Trump campaign yeah. that he had inside knowledge of what WikiLeaks was about to pop in the closing weeks of the election, what was going to, was billed as the October surprise. But... You know, for those of us who covered the trial, it was pretty clear that he actually had no in with WikiLeaks at all, that he was just bullshitting in order to ingratiate himself and get back in with Trump. But the key thing, yeah, yeah. but the key. And so I'm I'm just saying that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Look, his lying to Congress was indefensible. He absolutely deserves to go to prison for that. But in terms of the well, larger tampered, narrative... He also tampered with witnesses. Well, that, but that's a separate issue, which we have some reporting, which we've done on, you know, from okay, the, okay. The, the, the witness who was supposedly tampered. But in any case, that's a separate matter. Although it was a big part of what the but sentencing you, you, guidelines was all you, about. But the, My point is that at the end of the day... It, this was a case about bullshitters bullshitting other bullshitters, and that yes the, and no because yeah. why did he lie to Congress? He lied he to lied, Congress no, 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 to I, cover up his bullshit. This is my rhetorical right. question. It's not for you. Oh, why okay. did he lie, lie to Congress? <laughs> I stand he, you know, he, he he was willing to tell Congress that he had interactions with this guy Randy Credico, who I'm sure you've discussed on the show before, but he did not talk about his connections to this other person. Jerome Corsi. Jerome Corsi. Jerome Corsi. No, no. Who was another bullshit? Another bullshit. But why, <laughs> yeah. but why did he? We still don't have a good explanation about why he was willing to talk about one way he thought he was connected to WikiLeaks, but not the other. But trumping all this, of course, is Donald Trump. Because yeah. in his written answers to questions posed by Robert Mueller, he wouldn't sit down for an interview, even though he told us he would love to. Right. He denied having any conversations with anyone about anything that WikiLeaks was doing. You know, the redactions in the Mueller report make it clear that, indeed, he was lying because he was talking to Stone. Of course he was lying. No questions about he was lying. So Stone was lying to Congress in part to cover up his conversations with Trump, and he stayed silent in a way to protect and to stonewall to protect the president. And now we have today mm-hmm. what might be the beginning of maybe the first act of loyalty we've ever seen out of <laughs> Donald Trump. You know, yeah. we don't know if, the, if, if he's going to eventually pardon Stone or not, but he's, what, he's, he's putting his thumb on the scale to make it easier for Stone. And we know that Stone, in some ways, whatever bullshit was going on at the time, 
it looked bad for Trump. It would have looked bad for Trump, and he covered it up. Okay, look, so we've talked a bit here now about the underlying crimes, but we kind of went quickly past this story in which four prosecutors yeah, have now right. left the case because right. the Justice Department intervened in a sentencing. And I think we should really focus on that for a minute. I don't remember anything like this yeah. ever happening. We, maybe all we of us have... Them, maybe we should ask someone who covered the Justice Department. <laughs> well, look. Uh, <yeah. laughs> Former Legal <laughs> Times reporter. Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, look, yeah. but look, seriously, all of us have covered the Justice Department yep. for the years. Yeah. We, we yeah. have, uh, we remember, we have written about cases where there were allegations of you know, improper influence from the White House in some Justice Department case, maybe involving a campaign donor or something, whatever. I ran you know, all, remember? Right, okay. And, you know, usually it's a little murky, you know, but we would make a big deal about it. And here you have, I just want to read, this is the lead of the New York Times story, just to kind of... I hope there were adjectives in it. <laughs> it's really, it's actually a very simply written lead. Okay. Look, 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 I'm going to read this here. For okay. adjectives you read, Mother Jones. Okay. But Four prosecutors abruptly withdrew on Tuesday from the case of President Trump's longtime friend Roger J. Stone Jr. after senior Justice Department officials intervened to recommend a more lenient sentence for crimes he committed in a bid to protect the president. Good summation. You know, right? I mean, here you, here you have, right. you know, it, it's mind-boggling, right? I mean, here you have a, a president intervening in a case not to help, you know, some political ally, but a case that goes directly to his own personal conduct. Yeah. Um, and the sense I have, you know, we're here up here in Manchester following this election, but in emailing and, and, you know, and, and texting sources back in, in Washington, I think this has really rocked people at the Justice Department. I think this is a pretty serious... Uh, it seems like we were ...goes to the core. All yeah. these concerns that we've had about, you know, what Trump would do to the rule of law... This is what people were worried about. This exact thing was what people were worried but, about. We've, and we've seen, we've seen this sort of trend line. We've seen the vector going in this direction with Trump trying to get Jeff Sessions fired, saying, where is my Roy Cohn? He wants the Justice <laughs> Department to be his own mob law firm and just protecting him. You know, he's been talking about this, and then they bring Bill Barr in. Bill Barr is investigating things involving the Russian scandal. You're trying to, in some ways, it seems to prove some of the crazier conspiracy theories, even after the IG report and others have not delivered that those goods to the, to the president. And, you know, I thought, I, I kind of thought we'd see more of this just happening in the shadows, the shadows that you guys live in that we notice. But this is as public and as obvious. And I think the brazenness of this, you know, is what is well, truly shocking isn't people. That it is, but the brazenness is why Trump gets away with it, right? right? You well, know, because it is so brazen, it is so out there that... And uh, Bill Barr, too, everyone, you know, said, oh, he's going to be the adult in the room when it comes to the Justice Department. He's you know? an institutionalist. He's an institutionalist, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then he's and I think done. we said that, yeah. didn't yeah, we? Yeah, well, we I know did. I didn't. On this show. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Oh, no, right. no yeah. need to worry, Mike <laughs> and Danny. It's all taken care of. Bill's in... Bill's yeah, he'll yeah. be a fair right, sheriff in right. these parts. Look, 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 I don't disagree with anything either of you has said on this. Don't add a butt here. But, <laughs> but he did it. let's put a little perspective on it. You know, on February 20, I believe, Judge Amy 
Berman Jackson is going to deliver a sentence for Roger Stone. My strong hunch is that, if anything, she's now more inclined <laughs> to uh, deliver a tougher sentence than she would otherwise have been because of this. But she, she was never going to give Which will then lead to the pardon. She was never... Well, that's... Yes. Right, the because pardon, Trump, that will give Trump I think the after the election, there, you know is a high likelihood there will be pardons for a number of people. But, I mean, you know, my guess is, look, she was never going to give him seven and a half to nine years. That was, although it's per the guidelines, that's largely because of the witness tampering charge. And the witness tampering charge was the squishiest of them all. It all rested on emails and texts that Stone sent to Credico after he learned what Credico was quoted in say, as saying in that aforementioned book, Russian Roulette, and he said, prepare to die, cocksucker, and prepared to and seemed to threaten the welfare of Bianca, Credico's service dog. Who, by the way, has been a guest on Skullduggery. Who has been a guest on Skullduggery. Credico Duggery. and yes. Bianca. Bianca is very articulate. Yeah, yeah, very articulate. Very articulate. But wait. Yeah, she was, well, after after Bianca was in the grand jury, I think, right? Yeah. It yeah. Was straight from the grand jury to Skullduggery, <laughs> like a number of guests uh, have been. But, you know, look, Credico said on the witness stand and amplified that in a letter to, to Judge Jackson. He never took those comments seriously. He never thought Roger Stone was he going might have, to he might have brought harm that up. He Bianca might have brought that up in, in the grand way. jury. I mean, well, no, he wasn't asked. He he said in his letter, if if I had been asked by Stone's stupid lawyers on cross examination or didn't have the wits to ask, you know, did you ever feel threatened in any way? He would have said no. So you know, look, that doesn't technically get you off the hook on a witness tampering charge, but it does sort of you know make it less you know, uh, I'm severe not, if you than it otherwise the case would have against been. Roger Stone, no. go ahead. He, yeah. They've gone off. He's gone off easy on many yeah. other things, including things related to to, to all this business. Right. But, uh, but he's but, going to uh, prison. But going well, maybe he, he, he will not, be going to. He prison. may not go to prison because I, I, Trump. I think that will be up to yeah. Judge Jackson. Well, it would be know. up to the, Donald Trump. Well, that's true. Uh, uh, ultimately, yeah, Trump could, could um, who's taken yeah. you know a, a very personal interest in this. But um, you know, we we've, we've seen you know in the past the politicization of the Justice Department. I'm from, both sides complaining about it. So when Bill Clinton met with Attorney General Lynch on a tarmac, everyone on the Republican side were, were, you know, was, was convinced that something wrong had happened and that Clinton had, had somehow put in the fix on the Hillary Clinton investigation. It was something that was dumb and shouldn't have happened. There was no evidence of any wrongdoing, but it was, it was certainly improper. And I'm just waiting. I mean, I... Mitt Romney hasn't tweeted yet, but I'm just waiting for Susan Collins to speak up strongly. <laughs> and I'm, you know, now I've learned my lesson. I think um, you may have a long I mean, wait. But, 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 yeah, but, you know, but yeah. it, the justice, you know, we, we used to have, even guy like Chuck Grassley in the past used to care about whistleblowers and mm -hmm. used to care about issues like this. And this is, I, I think, a bigger reflection of how um, this sort of cult of Trump has just reached into every corner of government and, and our public life, and no one's going to, you know, uh, on that side is going to take issue with that. The, the ones who've had, you know, they have their own little magazines and websites now, 
and, and they don't get paid any attention and we will complain and the Times will have its great stories and we're not going to have the type of three-day, four-day, five-day scandal with even longer that this would have happened any time in the past. Although it is astonishing that <laughs> this is happening like how many days after <laughs> impeachment ended? I mean, I guess that's, you know, when... Do you see Godfather 2? <laughs> like the day we take care of all the enemies of the family? Right. Yeah. Boom, 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 right, boom. Yeah. You don't sit around. You know, when you're mob boss, you don't sit around and wait for shit to yeah. happen. All you right. just go out and they do it. Speaking of mob families, you had an encounter today in New Hampshire with one Donald Trump Jr., Tell us what happened. I guess if we're using the mob reference, we could call him the Junior Don. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I was at Chez Vachon, which is a, um, a landmark restaurant in the northwestern part of Manchester, where it's sort of a Canadian style. They serve poutine. If you don't know what it is, I'm not going to describe it. But smoked meat that you can get kind of in Montreal and great breakfast place. And it's also the type of place that politicians always stop by to do the photo op handshakes. So I was there with uh, three members of my staff and we're eating our smoked meat and our big stacks of pancakes and French toast and in comes uh, Donald Trump Jr. and his gal pal Kim Gilfoyle. Oh, Kim Gilfoyle. Oh, the Gilfoyle. former Fox woman. Former yeah. Fox News Is she person. still with Fox? Is she still I don't know. I think, yeah. no, 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 she's running, I think she's working for the Super PAC. Okay. For the Trump Super PAC. I think she has right. an official job. Um, but anyway, they, they come in and they walk around and they say hello to a few people. They don't come to our table. Now that may be because some Trump volunteers earlier came over to us and tried to give us Trump bumper stickers and we said we didn't want any. And so, but anyway, he sits down at a booth. But before he sits down, I take innocuous video of him just glad-handing, and I put it on Twitter and saying, if you could ask Donald Trump Jr. a question, what would it be? And within 10 minutes, I have 2,000 responses. <laughs> Most of them are not even fit for this podcast. Anything is fit for FTC this podcast. Regulations. But a, a, yeah. lot, a yeah. lot of them, what would you ask him? A lot of people said, leave please but you know, there were some you know what are the best offers you've gotten for the trump hotel through the gsa who funds your golf courses overseas i mean there were some really good questions and then some that involved parts of the body and objects outside the parts of the body in any event so um i just wanted you know I, you know it was an opportunity he came in with secret service he sat in a corner booth uh with kim and there was sort of a body man with him. So I just said, well, when we walk out, I'll go up and say something to him. So we walk out, and uh, as I, I go up to the table. I go, can I ask you a question? And he kind of like goes, oh, okay. <laughs> and I said... Did he, did he know who you were? I don't know if he knew who I was. Okay. But um, I, I think Kim might, might have recognized me at some point in this exchange. So uh, I, I say, you know, I always, this is something I always wanted to ask you. I, I want to know... Why did you take that meeting with a Russian emissary after you got an email saying this was part of an effort, a Russian government-sensitive, secretive effort to help your campaign? I mean, you know, did you think that was appropriate? And he says, oh, I've been through this all. I've testified, da-da-da-da-da. And are you telling me I can't talk to people? I talk to people all the time. I can't, you know, can't, I, don't I have the right to talk to people? 
and I said, yeah, you, you, you do. There's nothing, you know, nothing illegal necessary about talking to people. But um, I'm wondering why you thought it was appropriate, why you didn't think it was inappropriate to have that type of conversation. And at this point, his body man stands up, like he puts his chest to my chest. Now, he's about 5'5". Five, five. <laughs> With the body body man? Body man. He's not a very big body really? man. But there are Secret Service guys two tables over, and they stand up. Yeah. They don't move in, but they're kind of close to begin with. And uh, But he stands up. He goes, we're just trying to eat breakfast here. We're just trying to eat breakfast here. I go, I know. I came over, and I politely asked if I could ask a question. So I'm, that's, all, that's all I've done. And Don Jr. goes on, about, well, you know, well, you know, I can talk to whoever I want. And then I said, yeah, but you were told that this was part of a Kremlin effort to help your campaign. And at that point, Kim pipes up and says, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't at all. He was never told that. So at that point, the guy okay. almost is chest bumping me, the body man. Yeah. And I go, are you trying to push me away? And he goes, you know, we're just trying to eat breakfast. I said, well, I'm, I think I'm done here. So I, I leave. And you know the facts too well, Michael Isikoff. <laughs> uh, because indeed, there is an email saying exactly that. The right. first email he got about this was from a guy named you know, Rob Goldstone, who you know, worked for Emin Aguilar of this Russian pop star, blah, 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 who helped set up the meeting. If it's work, what you, you know, say, I love it, especially but, later in the you know, summer. Yeah, and it right. says, you know, this is part of a Russian effort to help your campaign. So this was all filmed and videoed and went up on the internets and mm -hmm. The tweets, tweets out there loved it a lot. Particularly, they liked the, you know, I fact-checked, you know, I put up the email mm -hmm. and said, this is, you know, this seems like she's lying. Why would she lie about this? I don't know. Next time you see her out and about, please ask her. <laughs> but so, yeah. Um, well, I, I should point out that Don Jr. has never testified in public mm -hmm. before any committee about what transpired. So your encounter with him on video, on Twitter, at your, uh, what's your Twitter handle again? David uh, Korn DC. Yeah, David Korn DC will be maybe the only opportunity people have to actually see Don Jr. respond to questions about the oh, notorious Trump Tower meeting. And he also basically said, you know what, you should ask Hunter Biden. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I also say that since we're here in Manchester on primary night, it just seems fitting that you know you would actually be able to do something like that, um, walk up to the president's son and ask questions like that only in a place like New Hampshire, you know where we have like you know this quaint democracy in action and you know retail politicking and so well if Trump you know, wins re-election I'm not sure we can do things like this anymore <laughs> so okay. let's enjoy it while we yeah. can America right. we'll enjoy it while we can and um, before you go David Korn when is that long-awaited paperback of <laughs> Russian roulette going to finally come out Oh, <laughs> sometime in the future. <laughs> sometime in the future, before the election, though. If you guys stop arguing I, over, you know, <laughs> no, prepositions. No, I think we've got it all nailed down. Um, uh, by the anyway, way, yeah. you had a typo in Mitt Romney's quote. <laughs> <laughs> An appalling abuse of trust, not to trust. <laughs> You know, that's what we have fact checkers for. All right, uh, <laughs> David, thanks for joining us again. My pleasure, guys. 
Thanks to journalist and historian Jonathan Alter, Yahoo's own John Ward and Hunter Walker, as well as David Korn of Mother Jones for joining us on this episode of Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. The latest episode is also on SiriusXM on the weekend. Check it out on POTUS Channel 124 on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, with replays on Sundays at 1 a.m. and 3 p.m. Be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. Talk to you soon.